We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. the timeline of phoenix suns podcast my name is mike i'm here with sam sam how are you doing very well my friends the regular season the the very long but very fruitful regular season has finally come to a close um and we've learned many lessons from it that i think we're going to discuss today but also i know no one is everyone is also anticipating for the next week and so we will not know the sun's first round opponent until friday night when the play-in tournament um finishes uh but obviously we want to come to you people with a podcast before then we didn't want to wait till friday so exactly. next week's episode will be a playoff preview this week yes what are, we, what are we up to my friend well it was the greatest regular season in sun's history i think so i guess we have an opportunity here a short period of time where the suns are not playing any basketball to actually talk about that and actually appreciate that. And then we can talk a little bit about the playing games and then some of the awards races. Cause I think we are now getting to see what people have voted. Another like people are revealing their votes, which actually gives us some sort of insight into them. Another week of bitching. I'll do You know, I'll say, <laughs> but, but you know, I bitch, you bitch, he, she, we all bitch and uh, people like the bitching. So we're going to, we're going to do it for another week, but I think we are, we are going to limit it to the second half of the episode. We're going to, we're going to, like you said, appreciate some finer moments of the regular season first because it literally was. We can now always say, uh, until they break their record again, I suppose, that this was the best regular season for the Phoenix Suns in franchise history. So it goes, yeah. but it goes by like that, man. It's like a blur. Yeah. You know, when when you gave me the task of, like, let's let's think about it and let's actually pick out our favorite games of the regular season to talk about a little bit this week, there were some instant well, and we'll get to it in a second, but there were some instant ones that were so obvious. And then there were others. It's like when you just expect to win every game, it changes things a little bit. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And the consistency of players almost makes their amazing performances seem less amazing because it just happens so yeah. often. Like I thought it's in particular with Chris Paul trying to pick out something amazing that Chris Paul has done in an individual game. 
it was almost difficult for me because everything he did, every single game, there was something amazing. And it was just every every single time. It's his consistency that made him amazing. But let's just quickly, I want to just read through the game, the number of wins in each season of Devin Booker's career. 23 win, wins, 24 wins, 21 wins, 19 wins, 34 wins, 51 wins. And now this season, the Phoenix Suns ended with 64 and 18 which is the most wins in Suns history and also the highest win percentage in Suns history. It should be noted that it is the highest win percentage as well, just because last year the Suns won 70% of their games. This year, 78% of the games. Last year was a pretty remarkable season that I think almost flies under the radar at this point as far as just the regular season that last year was. But this season was on another level. It was the greatest season in Suns history. More wins than any Steve Nash team, more wins yep. than any Charles Barkley team and any team before that and Devin Booker stuck around through all of that to now win the most games a pretty amazing season to think back on I'll be honest I was at the game okay I was at the game for the Kings knowing that oh, it we do be... we should have let off with that I didn't even <laughs> I already <laughs> forgot that you were there how was that no I knew I knew when I bought the tickets which was months ago that it would be not an overly exciting game itself uh, knowing that they would likely be resting, that things would likely be decided by then. And, you know, I, I anticipated watching Cameron Payne. It ended up being Aaron Holiday, but <laughs> it is what it is. But there was a moment in when they were announcing the the starters, they have like a video, you know, the lights go down. Everyone's been to a game before. The lights go down, the video comes up. They do the thing where they are like talking about the valley and then it's highlights of the season right and it's like set to music it's really dramatic and loud and the crowds are going crazy and i genuinely for a brief moment became slightly emotional thinking <laughs> this is so cool <laughs> this team won 64 games it's just so cool i mean i've been there i went to so many games in the year they won 19 games in the year they won 24 games i went to so many games throughout that time and being there in an arena that is now new, surrounded by fans that have been around the team forever, watching players that I've learned to love uh, actually be able to celebrate that moment was pretty amazing. And, and I didn't expect it to like make me slightly emotional. Their, their emotionally manipulative clips actually worked on me, I guess, is what I'm saying. Video editing is a powerful thing, man. But uh, if you think <laughs> that's cool, wait for uh, just wait for the playoffs. It's going to be super cool I know. in there in the playoffs. I'm thinking about it myself. Yeah, thinking about it myself. It's a long way, but uh, I have thought about it recently because I'm, I was there uh, at the very beginning of the season, like right when the Suns were one and three, was when I was last in Phoenix, and then they turned their season around at the week that I was there and won three straight. I saw all three of those games. Yeah, it was a blast. But it was totally at the beginning of the season when people had high expectations for this team. We expected this team to be a contender, but I think it's different now. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I've been thinking about it recently, so uh, we'll see. But uh, but so, yeah, I'm glad you were there. Uh, if any any, if a Lundberg uh, particular highlights for for you getting to watch him play live or or particular analysis yeah, you that know, you could give to us. <laughs> well, that's actually you know I don't think it's any better than anyone that was watching the game. But I think the way that he filled up the stat sheet in particular was kind of interesting. It wasn't just a lot of scoring, right? He played defense well. He had some nice passes. He got some rebounds, and it just it was like okay, well I get. You could just tell why Monty, my Monty liked him, and why James Jones liked him. Like you could tell right away. Yeah. Oh, I get it. This guy plays the right way. He knows how to move the ball. He knows how to shoot, 
and he plays hard defense. And those are the things that the Suns like. They like guys who can shoot. They like guys who understand the rest of the game as well, though. They really don't have any one-dimensional players on the team that continue to get minutes. They like well-rounded players, and that's what Ife was. I thought I was really impressed with him in that game. You know, last game of the season, fluke, weird game thing. Yeah, but I sure. was still pretty impressed with them seeing him in person. I mean, naturally, you know, so I'll just say maybe for anyone who hasn't been following super closely, but if a season with the Suns is now over because he was on a two-way contract and was not, they would have had to, like, cut Alfred Payton or something and do the thing that they did with Ish Wainwright. By the way, that's something that happened this week. But but yeah. if it will not be with the team through the playoffs, obviously. But I do think there's a solid chance that he lands with someone, uh, you know, at least on another two-way for next year and gets another shot. It's I, I kind of think once you break through the initial barrier of making it to the NBA, which is so difficult, the other 29 teams are a lot more likely to give you a second and a third chance. And it's, you know, sometimes you get cases of guys who really just come here for a cup of coffee. They're here for two weeks and then they're gone. But I think in Ife's case, I agree with you. He, he looked like a fundamental player who maybe was still adjusting to the speed of the league, but that comes with time. Uh, and, you know, naturally, athletically speaking, I mean, he's got the wingspan to defend NBA players. Maybe he's adjusting to the speed, but I saw tools there. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, I think there was, like, he was catching the ball and just swinging it to the corner, like, every single time in the first few games that he played, and I think that in this game, it was clear that that was not the goal, that he had to do more. And once he started doing more, I think it really started to show why he earned that spot. And and I, I'd be surprised if he wasn't at least on another two-way next year, whether it be with the Suns or another team, uh, because he, sh- he deserves an opportunity to play. And I think he wants to be in the NBA. So I hope he, he does do that. But let's talk through some of the games because I want to at least take this opportunity before. I mean, not far from now, we'll be doing only playoff podcasts, right? We're not yeah. going to talk about the regular season anymore. We're going to do a playoff preview and then we're going to do a podcast after every game. So you're going to get tons of stuff from us, but it's going to be constant barrage of content, playoffs only. Uh, so let's take a moment to talk Bangers about the regular only. season. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> uh, I had a blast covering the playoffs last year, and I learned a lot, so I'm excited to do it this year. But the most memorable game is is clear, right? Uh, it's, it's, what makes you say that? I, th- I think I've got a whole like top five, and I think they're all about the same, so... It's Cam Johnson's game winner. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's probably it's probably Cam <laughs> it, Johnson's game winner. It yeah, was yeah, just you're right. This team, the thing about this team winning by like five to ten points every single game this season means that there wasn't a lot of drama. No, I right, mean, there was right. that sort of element of in the clutch. Are they going to make these shots over and over and over again? And they kept making them, but you almost had to strip them away from some of their star players for it to be a dramatic game. And that's what happened in this one. And that's why a lot of my games that I chose ended up being these sort of unlikely heroes in my mind. A lot of the ones I remembered, but the thing about the Cam Johnson one was there was almost a fight, you know, NBA style, almost fight, which means nothing. And then of course he <laughs> hits the game winner. And even as we were doing, play, we did it on playback, which adds to my memory of it. Sorry to those Me of you too, who weren't sure. there. Yeah, for sure. But even after it happened, my immediate response to it was that we're going to remember this shot for 40 years because yeah. sports fans are insane. And I do think that that's the one for me. That was the most memorable one for me. No, you're probably right. I mean, uh, the human brain is funny, right? You go through an entire season as like a fanatic watching all these games. And like when it actually comes down to it, how many memories do you really retain? Um, yeah. Only the the most fascinating, like par from the course uh, or, or exceptional moments, uh, excuse me. And yeah. that's basically what that game was for cam johnson what i think was interesting about that game from cam johnson though is 
He had, I should have brought up the box score. I think he had 38 points. Do you have the box score by any chance? If no, not, I don't. I will find it. I will find it in two seconds. Um, he had 38 points. I was right. 11 mm-hmm. shots, game winner, nine threes. Yeah. What I think yeah. was so interesting, though, is he was playing within the, the mostly at least, the Cam Johnson that we know and expect. Um, and in a season where we've emphasized so much about Look at Cam Johnson. He's becoming a, 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 first of all, he's an underrated defender. We've said that forever. But also he's becoming a tertiary playmaker. And he's starting to put the ball on the floor. And he's low-key got a mid-range shot. Yeah. And he drives. Getting to and, the free throw line. Yeah. That, getting to the free throw line. And all of those things are absolutely true. He has improved in all of those areas step-by-step, step, incrementally, throughout his career. But this game was just Cam Johnson bread and butter shoot the fucking lights out. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. sometimes you need to lean on a guy to rely on his core strengths yeah we hadn't seen a performance from cam johnson where he plays like clay thompson we knew that the potential was there but we just hadn't seen it and this was yet another game where yeah they're down in the fourth quarter you're thinking yeah i know how good this team has been in the clutch this season but maybe this is it maybe this is is just one step too far a hurdle that we cannot climb and cam johnson was there to save the day by the way mikhail bridges was great in that game too uh, mm-hmm. He had like substantially fewer points, but I just remember he was also clutch in the fourth quarter, like hitting mid-range shots and doing stuff to keep the Suns of the game. So no Chris Paul, no Devin Booker, Suns still yeah. win the game. Definitely right. an awesome memory. It's funny how that works, right? The two best players in the team don't even play it, but somehow it becomes the most memorable game of the season. And I think Suns fans will agree. I, if you disagree with this one, obviously let us know. I would love to hear what you think is the most memorable one. Um, or after we go through all of them, let us know which games we missed. What is another game that you have listed, Sam? Yeah, so again, I think it's kind of funny drawing the contrast between a couple years ago because a couple years ago, if we did a segment like this, it would have just been the, wow, the one time they beat the Bucks, or <laughs> wow, right. the one time they beat they the beat, Warriors somehow. They beat the yeah. Warriors. Like we all remember those games. If you're a long, yeah. long time, if you're a medium-term Suns fan who was around here three <laughs> years ago, which I know most of you were, then uh, you remember all of those games. This year, they just fucking beat everyone. So they're like beating the Warriors this year wasn't, it was fun, but it wasn't special. I didn't special. even have that one, yeah. It wasn't special. Beating the Bucks this year, fucking ton of fun, but not special, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think what I lean towards were the particular moments like the Cam Johnson game winner that we just did. And the other option, the crazy individual performances. And so leaning yeah, more towards same. the crazy individual performance end of the spectrum, it was actually really recently. It was Devin Booker. Uh, 49 points, yep. 10 assists yep. on 16 of 25 shooting against the Denver Nuggets. Uh, yeah. I don't have the exact, I think it was March 20 something. It was a few weeks ago. Uh, destroying the Denver Nuggets in uh, not the best regular season game of his career. I don't know because 70 points was still it's really close cool. To but it. it's, but it's, close it's close because to it. it's close because he actually won the game and it was great for the narrative. I think that it was, first of all, it was March 24th, 2022. Of course, because I had this one on my list as well. 49 points, 10 assists, 4 rebounds, 3 steals, 1 block. And what I think was, first of all, 49 points, 10 assists is wild. I mean, that's just wild by itself. But he controlled every single aspect of this game. He just, he was getting rebounds, taking them away from people. He was stealing the ball multiple times. He had a block. 
that you know everyone remembers a play where he ripped the rebound away and then got an end one immediately afterwards there right. was just a moment of that game where you knew before we knew the story which we can say in a second where you just knew that Devin Booker was not going to allow the Suns to lose this game against the Denver Nuggets because the the rest of the team was playing okay. Like you look at the starting lineup afterwards, it's 22 points for Mikel, 16 points for eight and 17 points for Paul, 12 points for Jay Crowder. And you're like, okay, well, yeah, actually, you know what? They ended up playing pretty well across the board, but there were times in that game where it was getting a little iffy considering it took 140 points to win that game. A lot of that had to do with what Devin Booker was doing, who ended up being, yeah. of course, the highest in plus minus and plus 16 on the game. Well, exactly what you were talking about with that steal that everyone remembers. I remember he he passed it to, it was in the late third quarter, he passed it to Campaign, Campaign misses the three, rebound goes to Denver. I don't remember the exact player, but Booker strips it away, throws it up there, gets an N one. At that point in the game, the Suns were down by like seven or eight. Like the, yeah. it was not looking great. And Booker got that big play. A, at most one or two minutes later he got another steal which led to another easy bucket and all of a sudden you go into the fourth quarter and now it's a two or three point game and then you continue to dominate in the fourth quarter and what I thought was so amazing about that game too is it was kind of again like sort of like I just talked about Cam Johnson actually in a game where or in a season where Devin Booker has improved so much as a pull-up three-point shooter and in fact now that the season is over we can say Devin Booker shot 38.3 percent from the three-point line this year, that is officially a career high. But in this game, he made his only two threes in the first quarter, and then he proceeded to dominate the rest of the mm-hmm. game, half-court offense style. He would go right, he would go left, he would take screens, he would reject screens, he would fade away from from either side. It was like just the quintessential Devin Booker experience of an insane display of, of elite shot-making. That just, mm-hmm. you think about how many guys in the NBA can actually do that, and there's very, very few guys who can do that uh, and kill you from their mid-range like uh, like Booker did. So his defense was phenomenal in that game, but also his offense just, yeah, it's uh, when, when he gets like that, there is no way to guard him. Certainly not for the Denver Nuggets, but also not for just about anyone in the league. And then finding out after the game that the reason he was so pissed off was that the Denver Nuggets put <laughs> the up Amir a picture thing. Yeah. of Amir Coffee, the wrong player in the starting lineups was in the photo for Devin Booker. And he thought, because athletes are crazy, that they did it on purpose and it made him angry and he did this to them. I mean, that's just one of those stories that will live for a while. I think we can remember that. Because it's just insane. It's one of those, it's like Larry Bird, it's like Kobe Bryant, it's like Michael Jordan. Everyone has stories like this where you tell stories about some of their great games and they came for the most arbitrary reasons. And this is one of those examples of Devin Booker having one of the better games of his career. I think what makes it one of the better games of his career, arguably regular season, right? Arguably is because of the defense. I think you add the incredible offense, but the sort of dominating that he did on the other end of the floor as well, made it feel like one of his better games, I'd say. Let's see. Here's another one that came the day before that game. And it was DeAndre Ayton. Not the day before, the game before, I should say. That's insane. These happened back to back. Wow. Do you have on, this one too? It's on my list too. It's about individual performances. And this was a crazy one. So go ahead. Back to back. I mean, arguably back to back, DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker's best games of their careers came in, in, in games that came two days after each other. 35 points, 14 rebounds, three assists, one steal, one block, plus 11. DeAndre Ayton matched up against all-star 
Carl Anthony Towns, and he just dominated that game offensively and defensively in a way that looked just so easy for him. It didn't look like he was exerting a ton of effort. He just went in there and just completely tore them apart beginning to end with barely breaking a sweat. And in a game where he absolutely needed to do that in order for the Suns to win because they ended up only winning by nine points. And of course, this is something that the Suns could end up playing the Minnesota Timberwolves in the first round, right? So this could be somewhat of a game that we look back on as to the formula to beat them here. Just one of the best games of DeAndre Ayton's career, I think. Yeah, and I think, you know, we actually mentioned this game also a couple weeks ago when we were doing our first impressions. Was that last week? Maybe that was last week. Um, Our first impressions of other potential first-round opponents. We mentioned it then, too, because not only was this insane uh, performance uh, stat-wise, but it's also consequential when you think about the playoffs because the Timberwolves went into this game saying that they were going to trap Devin Booker and they wanted DeAndre Ayton to beat them. And they were going to put Jared Vanderbilt on DeAndre Ayton to to start the game. And they were going to give DeAndre Ayton the floor and the shore roll. And if the Suns were going to win this game, and indeed the Suns, this is yet another game where the Suns were down going into the fourth quarter. So if the Suns were going to win this game, they needed DeAndre Ayton specifically to step up because that's what the Timberwolves defense was dictating. And he responded to that. He literally could not have responded to that challenge better. He Mm -hmm. did exactly what the Suns needed to do. Um, He had several hook shots throughout the game. Uh, In the fourth quarter, he just gave us a beautiful sequence of like elite short roll dominance where possession after possession, like either he was going for the nine or 10 foot floater, which we know he has now, or the short jumper, um, or he would put the ball on the floor, or he would kick it to the corner and get an assist. And it was like it didn't matter. The ball was, the offense rather, was flowing through DeAndre Ayton out of necessity for the Suns. And for so long, it was a fear. I know it was a fear of yours. It was a fear of mine. And I think it was a fear of a lot of other Suns fans that when push comes to shove, if you're going to force the ball out of Devin Booker's hands and into DeAndre Ayton's hands, can the Suns still win basketball games? Can they still be uh, an effective team in the clutch? This was a game that proved that the answer, I mean, at least against the Minnesota Timberwolves, but I imagine against many other teams as well, that the answer could be yes. Uh, he just yeah. responded to that brilliantly. The question of what happens when teams make DeAndre and beat you, I think has been answered pretty well this season. I think DeAndre and has beaten a lot of teams as far as when they force the ball into his hands in certain areas of the court. The Suns have done really well. I mean, just look at the record, I guess. By the way, I double-checked the dates. It was back-to-back, March 23rd for the Timberwolves, March 24th for the Nuggets. One of the the storylines that we didn't even bring up about Devin Booker's game against the Nuggets was that it was on a second game of a back-to-back. Just another tick that made it feel impossible even as it was happening, just to be able to score 49 points on the second night of a back-to-back in Denver, which has the highest altitude of any arena in the NBA. But yeah, these two games coming on back-to-back days was a, a pretty awesome stretch for Suns fans to be able to see. Uh, what else you got? Well, last thing I want to mention on that game, and then I'll move on to my next one, but uh, the final season data also, because I mentioned it earlier with Booker's three-point shooting, the final season data, and our friend David has brought this up many times on Twitter before, um, is that DeAndre Ayton finished the season with 95 dunks and 93 hook shots the reason that we were tracking it for a while is because we were wondering if maybe he could finish the season with more hook shots than dunks which for a center would be insane 
Um, but the dunks won out over the hook shots ultimately by two this season. However, compared to last year, last year DeAndre Ayton had 110 dunks to only 52 hook shots. And wow. I would say that the takeaway here isn't necessarily that it's it's certainly not actually that uh, hook shots are better than dunks. Dunks are fucking great. Dunks are easy points. Uh, you, you know, I encourage players to dunk. But I think They're what's... the best. Most effective shot in the NBA. Absolutely. But I think what's interesting about it in looking at how Aiton's shot profile has changed is he now also officially just posted his best true shooting percentage of his career. To do that in a season where you change your shot profile so drastically to take away so many dunks that are dunks they're they're one foot away from the rim and turn those into five to ten foot shots that are just more difficult by their nature uh to be that efficient like he is it implies a a special level of self-creation even if it is limited in some sense we know deandre ayton's not the type of player you don't give it to him at the elbow and he starts crossing guys over and taking them off the dribble but he has a special tool here that he has developed in to the point where he is among the very elite at demonstrating this tool and that hook shot, it's going to fucking kill teams in the playoffs. I can't wait to see mm-hmm. it. Yeah. It's going to be a major, major tool for the Suns. All right. Next, next game. Yeah. My next game is the, <laughs> I don't know what you would call it. I think I would call this. I think we've mentioned it before uh, as this, the Ish Wainwright comeback game versus <laughs> I have the San Antonio too. Spurs. Did you, did you have this game? Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> yeah. It's just I think there's a there's a few stretches where like just these unlikely heroes came through. I'll just say so I'll just group some of these together right now because um I don't want to spend too too long on these ones, but Frank Kaminsky's 31 point game made my list just because it was just so unlikely and so crazy. It came off the bench one of the highest scoring games off the bench in a long time for the Suns. The Ish Wainwright led comeback against the Spurs was one of those ones as well. Arguably, the Cam Johnson one too is one of those unlikely hero ones. And then there was a, there was a brief stretch of a few games where Bismack Biombo literally held this team together <laughs> in a completely unlikely way that made it really fun. In in a stretch of games, by the way, that should have been the worst stretch of the season. Bismack Biombo held this team together. Yeah. Uh, so yes, the Ish Wainwright led comeback against the Spurs was amazing where he came in by the way I think halfway through the third quarter and played yep. the rest of the game in order to get the Suns back into it and, and allow them to win just to be clear Ish Wainwright finished with 10 points in this game which at his at that right. time was a career high before he actually just had a better game and a couple better games uh, more recently so it wasn't so much that Ish led the comeback in that he was hitting step back threes or whatever but he came in he just demonstrated stamina to play like 16 or 17 minutes straight and more specifically the Suns were again down 12 going into the fourth quarter they had no DeAndre Ayton they were clearly outmatched uh from a rebounding standpoint so I think it took a lot of guts for Monty at this point when he had never seen this before to say fuck it Ish Wainwright's going in at the five. We're going to switch everything on defense, and we're going to give up some things in terms of rebounding, but we were getting destroyed in terms of rebounding anyway. Let's see if we can beat them this way. And they got the stops that they needed once they started switching everything on on San Antonio, who, you know, are not... They're a a respectable team for sure, but they're not the league's greatest half-court offense by any means. And then when it came time for the Suns to play offense, they went to their regimen. They went to double drag. They went to elbow. They went to stack. They do the same thing they do every goddamn fourth quarter where they just trust it in their playbook <laughs> and cut you up into a thousand pieces slowly with uh, with with their sets. And lo and behold, uh, they won the game. 
just insane. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I, I, that's one of those games you just absolutely should have lost. And you know, I, I know it feels like maybe there were a lot of those this regular season, but that one in particular, there was something that stood out about it because yeah. from a schematic standpoint. By the way, we're going to talk about awards, I guess, a little bit later. But from a schematic standpoint. Coach of the Year material right there in a game like that. Um, yeah, masterful yeah. management of rotations in a way that really worked out for them. Ish Wainwright has been involved in multiple comebacks for this team. That was, I think, the only one from my memory the Suns ended up winning. Uh, but there was the Clippers game recently where the Suns were down by like 30-something points. Ish Wainwright came in, and then they lost by four. And then, of course, this last game of the season against the Sacramento Kings, it was the same thing. Ish Wainwright came in, the Suns cut it to cl- close, and then he left the game and the Suns lost by however many they lost by. But that dude seems to, I don't know, thrive when a team needs to come back. It's just for whatever reason, he does really well. And it was fun because it was unlikely. And also because, I mean, truthfully for you and I, we, we had been asking for it. We, we just wanted to see Ish Wainwright at, at small ball center for sure. to see what it looks like and to put him in. In a game that was relatively inconsequential, where the Suns were down by that much, and to trust him to do that, I think, let it be an incredibly fun game. So I had that one listed. It was the last one I had listed, but I had it listed as well. I'm going to cheat a little for this one, by the way. But I want to mention a streak here. Chris Paul, from basically the end of January, January 28th, the game on January 28th, until the All-Star break, I think there was 9 or 10 games, he averaged... 13.9 13.9 assists and only 2.5 turnovers. And this was a stretch because I wanted to think of a regular, like there was an amazing game where Chris Paul just destroyed the jazz by himself, <laughs> you know, and that was a fun one. But I think when I think back, when I'm going to think back on this season, and even now when I think back on this season and I think about Chris Paul's contributions to it, it's a stretch like that where, he was just dishing and dishing and dishing and the offense was flowing in a way that it, honestly it had never really has for this team regardless of who else was running the offense and basically 14 assists on two and a half turnovers for like a nine to ten game streak is absurd i it's think that's completely absurd i think that spurs game was in there actually because uh, i yeah. forgot i forgot to even mention in that spurs game chris paul had 19 assists too so we yeah. called it i mean and and doesn't that say something about the way that we take Chris Paul's contributions exactly. for granted? Yes. That in a game where Chris Paul had 19 assists, and I don't know how many turnovers he had in that game, but probably two or three, knowing Chris Paul. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't fucking, much, yeah. doesn't fucking matter. He had 19 assists. That in a game like that, we call it the Ish Wainwright game. You know, like we do this <laughs> we do this routinely with Chris Paul where we would just, yeah. we expect greatness on a night-to-night basis. And it minimizes and keeps delivering as much as you know as much as suns fans think that it's devin booker is the guy who gets minimized at least on the national scene and perhaps that's true at least in the way the local media and fans talk about this team i think chris paul's the guy who flies under the radar most often for sure <laughs> yeah i think you're right i do think you're right it's because he's been so good for so long that there's no story written there right it's just that's who he is now he's that good i mean the reality of this is this may not this may not be the best team ever for Chris Paul as far as wins because he won 65 games with the Rockets. Oh, I forgot that he didn't get that record. Damn. But this is arguably the best team he's ever been on. And I think this a pretty, team pretty amazing thing. I think this team is so much better than that Rockets team and I <laughs> continue. Too. But you know what's funny is I'd be interested in asking more people about this to we should pull this, but just anecdotally, I feel like when I talk to other national people about that, I run into some resistance, and I don't understand why. I think it's pretty clear that this team has strengths to fall on in the playoffs. 
that are the exact reason that that Houston team lost. But for some yeah. reason, there's a certain resistance to 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 admit that this team is better. Maybe until they're validated yeah. by playoff success. I'm not sure. I think it's clear yeah. though. I think and and I know I'm biased. I know I'm a Suns fan, but I think if you learned any lessons from the Mori Ball era. It should be obvious why this team is yeah. better. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think that the big difference is Devin Booker is now screening for buckets for Ish Wainwright in a way that James Harden never would have. That is and a I know huge I just boil it. Sure. I, I boil it down to something like that, but that's just the type of thing it is. I think the reason a lot of people wouldn't agree with you is just offensive rating is, is insane for that Rockets team. It's one of the best all time, but that's because of, we've talked about it before, when you shoot a lot of threes, you tend to bury teams in a way that you might win by 30 or this Suns team might have won by 15. But guess what? A win is a win and winning by 30 and winning by 15 may affect the offensive rating, but it has no impact on the overall wins and losses at the end of the season. And when it comes to the playoffs, relying too much on that three point shot is was that's what the downfall of that team was. <laughs> you know, that's actually how they lost. They, they missed 27 threes in a row and that ended their season. So I think this Suns team is built in a better way, too. Did you have any other specific games that you wanted to call out before we take a break here? No, I'm ready to ready to go into the other stuff. All right, we'll be right back, and when we come back, we'll talk about why people hate the Suns. <laughs> <laughs> come on. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, award season is officially on us. In that, it's been on us for six months. 
<laughs> yeah, people are now actually posting their ballots and who they voted for. Brave souls who are just asking to be ratioed are posting <laughs> their ballots online. And shout out to them because we agree. talked about it on our last episode. Shout I, out to them. I a thousand percent there's, agree. Yep. There's a bunch of anonymous people that take no flack. And then there's these brave people their that ballots. tell people who they're voting for just to get hated on. And their ballots, by the way, is, you know, the guys you're talking about, Joe Schmo from Utah or whatever market it is, you know, who gets a vote. Those guys typically have the worst ballots and they yeah. never get held accountable for their actions. So yeah. I, I honestly do believe even if ideologically I disagree with guys in the national media and, you know, I want to hash it out and whatever, that's fine. That's natural. That's that's the nature of NBA discourse. But if you're being transparent about posting your ballot online, I do salute you because uh, it's a tough world out there. The These ratios come fast and uh, and they come hard, Mike. So there is something to be said for, for appreciating people that do that. I want to give a shout out to somebody. His name is Rye B., on Twitter uh, at RYB underscore three one one. He is now keeping track of all the publicly available votes in a Google doc. So now we can see like who's voted for the Suns to get some sort of idea about who has voted for what and like what Suns fans are, are going to expect from when they're all tallied at the end of it, which has been interesting for me, but let's, let's just quickly talk through each one of these awards together same the ones that the Suns have some sort of role in I would say and let's start with coach of the year now coach of the year obviously is the one I think we mentioned in the past as the one that is the most likely that the Suns can win there has now been a late surge by Taylor Jenkins a deserving surge because that team is amazing and has been coached incredibly well all season I guess the question for you is do you think that Monty's going to win at this point, and how do you feel about all of this? Well, I took a look at the spreadsheet uh, that our friends posted, and it looks close so far. I mean, there's only like 10 voters so far in that spreadsheet out of there's 100 total, right? So it doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it looked about 50-50 so far. Mm-hmm. So that worried me, man. Uh, you know, a patron asked us recently, and we responded to this on the Patreon pod uh, last week, but I'll mention it here too, just an interesting question of if you could only guarantee one, which would you want to guarantee? That's out of all the the MVP, um, Defensive Player of the Year, Coach of the Year for, for a Suns representative. And uh, Coach of the Year is the one that I think is just the most clear cut. If Monty Williams wins Coach of the Year, at least I would think there should be no controversy surrounding that. Everyone in the NBA community could get behind that. It's just logical, the fact that he's won 64 games. And if you're not necessarily going to reward uh, his talent, his players, his personnel on the strength of what they're doing uh, in terms of giving them individual awards, then, yeah, I mean, do what you've done for the past 50 years and and reward the coach who's had the best individual season, like, objectively. (laughs) You know, it just doesn't (laughs) seem difficult. It doesn't seem difficult to me. I think this one's easy, Here's what's funny. Here's what's funny about this specific award to me is that they go at the beginning of the season. A lot of these guys go, here's what we expect this team to win based on how much I am a genius. And then (laughs) if that team wins more than that expectation, they go, all right, well, they they deserve coach of the year because I was wrong about my prediction at the (laughs) beginning of the season. That's essentially what it boils down to because there's a difference between voting for the coach who has done objectively the best job as far as just coaching the team to the most wins, which is what Monty Williams has done, and coaching 
and, and switching their vote over to the coach that did the best with the talent that they were offered, but the talent is now evaluated based on their own personal expectations for, for that team, which it's either that they were wrong about those personal expectations of how talented the players are, or that coach deserves coach of the year in their minds, which mm-hmm. I just think is just this big, big brain stuff that makes no sense. <laughs> and also in some respect, it's designed to protect their ego because otherwise they would have to admit that they were wrong about their talent evaluations of the players on that team. Well, can, because but every can, single one of these guys has talented players. You can also go the other way, by the way, though, and say that like, the, the they were also wrong in the sense that their predictions were off with the Suns as well. Like, I don't understand where this whole narrative is coming from about... I mean, I understand where it's coming from with the Grizzlies because the Grizzlies have absolutely outperformed their expectations. But I think just because the Suns were the second seed last year and went to the finals, are we not forgetting that the Vegas over-under projection for this team, Mike, wasn't it like 52 wins or something or 53 wins? 52, Do you remember this? yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They've won fucking 64. Is that not a similar amount uh, hitting the over there of whatever the Grizzlies were able to do? I bet the Grizzlies were finished around plus 12 uh, over where they were expected to be yeah. as well. So if you're talking in terms of variance from you know standard deviations from the mean, I think mm-hmm. the Suns did a pretty fucking good job in that regard as well. So yeah. no matter what, however you slice it, I think this is like such an easy one to knock out of the park if you're the media. Like I again, I know I'm biased talking about all of these, so maybe it's silly to say that, but like if you're going to give us anything, give us this. It's easy. Uh, people are getting mad, of course, as as fans do. I still think there's about, a good chance, by the way. I think Monty's going to win. I, I'll say it right now. I think Monty's going to win. I think for a few reasons. I think right now he has the most first place votes of anyone tracked so far. And Taylor Jenkins is not the second place vote in every single one of those. And anyone who voted for Taylor basically does have Monty Williams as their second place votes. So he'll likely have the most first and the most second place votes. And I think that'll be enough to get Monty to win. And and look, I think he deserves it this year. And I think he deserved it last year. And I think when they give it to teams that, you know, go over their expected amount of wins, I just think it's kind of silly. I, you know, just it's the better team should win in that case just as you said, they both went way above anticipated wins. Uh, so I just think he's going to win, and I'm not really worried about it. I do think, like <laughs> like Dan Devine, who I think is great from The Ringer and formerly Yahoo, voted for Monty Williams first place, and then J.B. Bickerstaff second place. So wow. that's an example okay, where Taylor Jenkins is not going to win yeah, yeah. Uh, that because of something like that. Or Zach point. Harper, who's kind of insane, <laughs> even <laughs> though he's a pretty good writer, voted Monty Williams first. And then he had Ime Udoka second, which okay. is fair. But then Eric Spolster third. Taylor Jenkins is not even on his ballot. That's a really uh, that's a really good point. I didn't think yeah. about. I I honestly, I mean, if you asked me to do my ballot, like Taylor Jenkins is second, and I wouldn't have considered. Me too. Yeah. I wouldn't have considered anyone else second. So Ime is interesting. I I like that vote. I mean, I don't mind that a vote. Really good job. I don't. Yeah. No, I all all other stuff notwithstanding, I don't mind that vote at all. So, but it's just an interesting way. I hadn't really considered it before that might play sort of the rank choice voting is going to play into the sun's favor yeah and i think i think it will so as mad as people are i think i think the most likely scenario is monty williams wins if he doesn't win feel free to get as angry as you what want would you part do, of like, this process what would you do if he doesn't win like what's the reaction you know i mean i kind of look 
I don't really mind them losing these awards. I, I start usually at the beginning of every year from a standpoint of awards are stupid. And this year has totally sucked me into the awards race because of how good know, the Suns are. I and know. the rationale that has come to <laughs> discredit any of the Suns players or coaches. Like That just has sucked me in in a way that I didn't want to be sucked into this race. So what I'll say this is if they lose these awards, this team will be even more motivated. And people sometimes laugh when the players that are on the best team say everyone's against us. But look, athletes are crazy. They're crazy. They need things to motivate them. And Monty losing in particular, the rest of the awards be damned. Monty losing, I think, would motivate them more than anything else. Uh, So look, if he loses... Look, honestly, after this podcast is over, we're just going to be talking about the playoffs anyway. (laughs) So this is our one opportunity to get mad. After they give them out, I think we'll touch on them, but I don't really care that much, I think. I wish we didn't have to wait. really wish we didn't have to wait. Yeah, I don't know when they're going to be. Let's talk about another one. Okay. This, I think, is the other one where a Suns player might be the highest ranked, and that's Defensive Player of the Year. Based on what I've seen people vote... Yeah, it is kind of crazy. Not all, what Mikhail, I expected at all. Mikael Bridges has three first place votes right now out of wow. like the 10 guys that are currently wow. tracked. This is Doug Smith of the Toronto Stars. Shout out, Doug. I don't know who he is. Uh, Zach Harper, <laughs> who loves the Suns this year, clearly. And Mike Greenberg of ESPN, who should not have a vote <laughs> for the record, did vote. And he voted for Mikael Bridges. So I guess in this case... His vote is fine, I, and then Mikhail Bridges is sprinkled around in the second and third place votes, and I think the second place votes might actually be what can win Mikhail Bridges' this award. He has a chance of winning. I think he has a legitimate chance of winning right now. Why do you say Mike? I, I've kind of stopped trying to figure out how they decide who the 100 people are or whatever that they give it to. It's like, how do you determine the 100 most important Wasn't Mike members? Greenberg originally an NFL guy? Like, I, I don't no, even think of him as an NBA guy no, I've no, I mind. I have no, I have no idea about his background. It's just I I just mean to say like where do you draw the line? I honestly don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> three cares? out of three out of ten <laughs> is not what I expected. Yeah, I think Marcus now, Smart also has three. Oh, that's so interesting, dude! Is yeah, so I, so I actually again, think Marcus Smart might win if Marcus this is Smart so gets weird. an equal amount of first place votes as Mikael Bridges. The second place could win him this award. So there's a small chance that Mikael Bridges. Wins Defensive Player of the Year this year, which would be a thumb in the nose of advanced analytics when it comes to defense, which I do enjoy. With 10% of precincts reporting, we can currently say that our exit polls show that <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's 9%. It's, yeah. it's actually 9%. <laughs> but it's it's funny because um, so 9% and six of them are yeah. for a perimeter player. You're serious? Yeah. That is, yeah. Like, that is such an anti-establishment you know, trend that I didn't what's expect. Funny, what's funny about that is... In November, I think, we had a conversation of what, how, how could Mikhail Bridges win the award? And you and I said, the only way it could happen is if somehow there is a narrative created that bigs win every year and that a big should not win everywhere yeah. because we are undervaluing perimeter defense. But and now that narrative has taken hold and it's working in favor of two separate players, which is kind of fun. But let's be honest. The only thing that allowed that to happen, like if you look at Rudy Gobert's game, It's the Jazz Collapse, right? If you look at Rudy Gobert's game between this year and last year and the last eight years, nothing defensively has changed. Uh, Really, I mean, maybe eight years ago he couldn't switch as well or whatever. You know, like for the last four or five years while he's been winning this award, nothing has changed. 
And in fact, you know, Kevin O'Connor put Rudy first. I saw his ballot came out today on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Put Rudy first as his defensive player of the year. And he caught... He's not going to be the only one, by the way. Rudy very mm-hmm. well could still win it. But he caught that yeah. quick ratio because people are tired, man. They're just <laughs> fucking tired of it. And there's, you know, it's hard for that narrative about bigs versus perimeter players to not uh, come about when the Jazz are winning however many games they won this year and are in the fifth yeah. seed. You know, if, if the Jazz had won 60 games, I hate to say it, but it would have gone to Rudy again. But now because the Jazz only won 48 or whatever they did, uh, now we've got uh, – suddenly we have to consider Jaron Jackson Jr. We have to consider yeah. Bam Adebayo. We have right. to consider, right. obviously, like you said, Marcus Smart. Um, I mean, I saw fucking Jason Tatum in some sort of power ranking recently, I think. <laughs> oh, or, or maybe that might, be mis- that might be misinformation that I'm spreading. Giannis obviously yeah. was in there. I think Ro- – Robert I think, Williams was certainly in there. So just a ton of guys. Now that you mentioned that, KOC's is, vote is not even on this ballot that I'm looking at, this tracker. Uh, so it's clearly behind – but at this point, I think that we've seen enough of a sample size, which is about 10% if we include KOC in there, that I'd be surprised if Mikhail Bridges finished lower than third place yeah, he's, at this he's, point, which is pretty cool. Chance. He's got a chance. I think he's a <laughs> yeah. lock. I think he's a lock for first team. And to be totally honest with you, that's all I was really hoping for yeah. in the first place. Uh, defensive yeah. player of the year would be a crazy cherry on top. Yes, I agree. But pretty awesome. I think that Mikael Bridges is going to get some credit here. And I, I do appreciate that voters are not taking... There seems to be an understanding that defensive metrics are still flawed and that we can't take them entirely seriously. And that Except... One of the player most responsible for the Suns' defense this year, which is the second-best defense in the NBA, is Mikael Bridges. Defensive metrics are flawed, except in certain cases when we talk about the MVP. Oh, by the way, right. let's talk about Unless MVP. Unless it's Jokic. Yes, <laughs> let's talk about MVP. <laughs> Booker's going to finish fourth, right? <laughs> yeah. No, Booker doesn't. I, it look, seems like he's going to finish fourth. He's, he's going to get a couple protest votes, though. And I am going to enjoy going back to the basketball reference page for the 2022 voting and seeing Stephen A. Smith's lone first place <laughs> vote or whatever, or whoever else does. There are going to be a couple people. I don't know who else is yeah, going to join him. Yeah. But I think Stephen A. already said he's he's going to. Stephen A. at least at one point in some sort of fit of rage on TV said, Devin Booker is my MVP. Mikael Bridges is my defensive player of yeah. the year. Monty, Monty Williams is my coach of the now, year. Yeah. Now, when he actually has to put pen to paper, is he going to commit to that and really do the Suns clean sweep? I don't know. We'll have to hold him to his word uh, when the when the ballots become public on right. that and see if he does or doesn't. D- does he have a vote? He must, right? Yeah, he does. I'm okay. pretty. Yeah, he does have a vote. Uh, <laughs> that's so that, funny too. That's fun. But <laughs> performer, but, they give a performer joke. A vote. Yeah. That's a joke. But yeah, uh, I appreciate that it's going to Devin Booker in this case. He brings, yeah. he brings a lot of publicity to the award, more so than Joe Schmo from the Toronto Star. You know, no disrespect to Joe Schmo. But um, the majority of the votes will have Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid first and second, which I think is that's right. That's probably right. And I think third place will probably be split between Giannis and Devin Booker for a lot of the third place votes. And then fourth place votes is where Devin Booker has to sort of beat out. Uh, I guess it would be Luca or Jason Tatum in order to get fourth place overall. And I think he has a chance to do that. Um, now, it could be that Jason Tatum, it, well, once the uh, the overall votes are counted, it could be that Jason Tatum or Luca pushes him out of the top five entirely. But I think at this point, I would guess that he's going to finish fourth, which, by the way, is not a failure. That is awesome. <laughs> that is really great. 
that Devin Booker could finish fourth in MVP voting. That means that whatever we were pushing as a podcast or you guys online, fans on Reddit or Twitter or wherever else you like to post about sports, I think that that worked. I think that people now decided to give Devin Booker the credit that he deserves for this amazing run that the Suns are on. Let this be a lesson to all of you out there. Uh, first rule of collective bargaining. I don't actually know how many rules of collective bargaining there are, but when you want something, ask for a lot. And uh, yeah, you can change narratives pretty quickly that way. Some Ask for a lot. Some people are going to think you're insane, but you're going to shift the window of what is acceptable and they're going to meet you in the middle in some place that is uh, pretty good. So I think that's basically the story of what happened with Devin Booker's All-NBA slash MVP campaign this year. We said MVP. He's not going to get MVP. But before, people weren't even necessarily putting him on their all-in ballots. He wasn't even ballots. on the ballots. And yeah. now me- media members are afraid that they're going to get shot if they don't put him on the first team. Uh, so congratulations to all, I think, mission accomplished on that one. Yeah. We were sufficiently uh, crazy uh, and insufferable, and it worked. The last one I want to talk about is six man of the year, which Tyler Hero is going to win. It's just, that one's wrapped up, right? That one, the, the odds were like minus 10,000 like a month ago <laughs> that he was going to win. Uh, but what surprised me about this one is it appears based on people who are making their votes public that Cameron Johnson is going to place first, second, or third and has a chance to be second overall Yeah. in six man of the year voting, which... We haven't even pushed for it. I think (laughs) this one's super funny to me. (laughs) I think that what happened is they were like, we got to give the Suns a little more love somewhere on these ballots. And look, it's not that it's not deserving. It's absolutely deserving for Cameron Johnson. I think some of his best games absolutely came when he started. He tends to play. He's probably the lowest guy getting minutes as, as far as like the lowest total minutes of any of these guys that are in this voting. Nowhere close to Tyler Hero, of course. But it's pretty surprising, and I would say at this point, based on the way people are sort of rationalizing their votes, I think Cameron Johnson is going to place first, or actually second or third in this category, right? Yeah, I was surprised, again, just to quote KOC's ballot, because it's the most recent one I've seen. Um, He had him second over Kevin Love, Uh, and I was surprised to see that, because Kevin Love has had a terrific season. Uh, lost some steam at the end, as did all of the Cavs kind of in their campaign, and I guess that's working against them now. But never did I expect that Cam Johnson would place top three in this award, honestly. He's had a terrific season, but like yeah. you said, it just wasn't something we really pushed for. Um, I think maybe because we knew, though, that it was wrapped up with Hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, yeah. Don't average, you don't average over 20 points per game off the bench and not win this award. Just historically, right. like it's that's an insane thing to do. So that's... Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, the Sixth Man of the Year award, we talk about the Defensive Player of the Year award being geared towards go- um, bigs. Excuse me. Sixth Man of the Year award is geared towards high-volume shooting guards. Uh, mm-hmm. And typically, or high-volume point guards slash shooting combo guards. Uh, and typically, if you're not one of those, it's pretty difficult to win that award as well. So coming down to it, the Suns could... This would be my expectation, of course things can change dramatically. These are very small amounts of votes that we're looking at, but the Suns could win coach of the year, get second or third place in defensive player of the year, fourth or fifth place in MVP and second place or third place in six man of the year, which is pretty cool overall. Uh, You know, this is the type of thing where the Suns are just getting votes in every single one of these categories. Devin Booker is getting votes for MVP right now. (laughs) I, I think that we haven't even really taken a moment 
to appreciate that, I don't care if it's fifth place votes or whatever place these guys are putting him in. He's currently getting votes in the MVP race, which is just as a Suns fan who's followed this team as long as I have. And then you guys listening, who's followed the team as long as you have, we need to appreciate how cool that is. And maybe not bark at people for not <laughs> putting him <laughs> higher because it's pretty cool. It's really cool. I really enjoy it. And I'm excited to see how these shake out. You know, if, if Monty ends up losing to Taylor, I think that's the one that would disappoint me the most. That's the only one that would that, piss. That's the fun. only one that would piss me off. That one would straight up piss me off. I can't lie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The others, you know, happy to be included. Glad that people are spreading the love around. Um, you know, it's 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 great to be here, Mike. I, I hear you on all the kind of like everyone be happy and peace and love stuff uh, for sure. Um, <laughs> I certainly don't encourage anyone to go out and personally harass media members over their ballots. Yeah. Don't do that. I, I, t- I tend to attack the logic, the rationale more than I attack. That's exactly. I mean, directly. if and again, unless I'll, they're completely insane and deserve it. I'll reiterate what I said at the beginning. These guys who are being transparent about their ballots, I salute them because most people on Twitter don't understand that it's possible to attack the idea and, and not go straight for the person. But, you know, ideally they're putting it out there because they want that discourse and they embrace that discourse. And that's, you know, in some small way, that's sort of the beautiful thing about and our they community. Be- they at least believe in, in their they believe in their votes, right? They believe in the rationale behind they it. Believe and they're willing they're willing to put the reasons out there to explain yes. to you why they came to the conclusions that they came to, which a lot of people aren't. But they wouldn't put their conclusions and their logic out there if they didn't believe uh, in the dialogue aspect of it. If they didn't right. believe that the people they were talking to, if or rather, if they believe that the people they were talking to were all working in bad faith, which, right. as it turns out on Twitter, only sixty percent of them are working in bad faith. So <laughs> that le- that leaves enough that leaves enough of us to you know. There's room for debate here. There's room for healthy discussion. Uh, yeah, it's it's a good time to be a Suns fan. Just try to enjoy it. Tomorrow we're recording this on Monday. Tomorrow, Tuesday, April twelfth. The Los Angeles Clippers, eight seed, will play the Minnesota Timberwolves, the seven seed, at Minnesota, nine thirty Eastern, which is six thirty in Arizona on TNT. Game one of the play, and the winner of that game, the Clippers versus the Timberwolves, will play the seven seed. So whoever wins that game is out of our minds entirely, as far as Suns fans go. Uh, they're done. Whoever loses that game will still be in the running to play the Suns. The Blood next the water. game. Yes, the next game is Wednesday, April 13th, San Antonio versus New Orleans. A team has to win that game in order to be in the running to play against the Suns. Of course, a lot of people will vote for the San Antonio Spurs or root for the San Antonio Spurs to win that one just because it would be fun to beat the Spurs as well, but also they're the lowest-seeded team, so easiest path for the Suns. And whoever wins that game will play the loser of the Clippers versus the Timberwolves. On Friday, April 15th, on TNT, time has not been announced for that game. Game one of round one of the playoffs for the Phoenix Suns begins April 17th on Sunday. Time will be coming soon for that game. Do you have any thoughts on how this may play out for the Suns, Sam? You know what's funny is I was actually looking at the season series stats uh, between the Timberwolves and the Clippers because I was curious. Did you know that the Timberwolves were unlucky enough to play the Clippers three times early in the season in November, back when the Clippers actually had Paul George um, uh. at that point in the season? And do you know what the results of those games were? I have no idea. I did the not Timberwolves, do my research. <laughs> totally, totally fine. I figured we would only talk about this for a minute at the end. 
Um, the Timberwolves lost all three of those games. Huh. Two of those were 20-plus point blowouts. Wow. I was pretty shocked to see that. Um, and, you know, because initially I was like, oh, let me check the season series. But, you know, Paul George has missed so many games. You can probably just throw out the results. When I saw that three of those games had already occurred like that. Man, they're pretty- better since then, the Clippers. Yeah, so to be fair, so are the Timberwolves. The Timberwolves started off the season slow, if you remember, and then they picked up. There was that little portion. Norm Powell, Robert Covington, those guys joined the team later. No, for sure. I, it's just I remember there was that portion early on in the season when the T Wolves like lagged below five hundred for a little bit, and people were starting yeah, to true. say people were starting to say, "Oh, just break them up," and then they figured it out. So, I mean, look, it's it's the beauty of the play-in tournament. Yeah, as much as game. I've criticized the play-in tournament in the past, anything can happen. And I will certainly be glued to my TV for three of the next four nights, um, or at least two of the nights. You know what's fascinating about this? Vanderbilt will play a huge role in that game because out-rebounding the Clippers will be huge. And, of course, the Clippers, one of the best shooting teams ever last year and this year, and I think at, when they're healthy can be one of the best shooting teams ever this year as well, uh, play smaller. So that's going to be a fascinating game. I mean, I would I would prefer the Clippers to win that one and just play – me too. The Grizzlies and just get them on a different side of the bracket. Not, not that I'm stoked about the prospect of playing Patrick Beverly in the first round. Right, but. right. But then it would be the Timberwolves in a one-game playoff, which, by the way, would be so shitty if they just got kicked out for their fan base. But uh, they could lose. And, of course, there's the Spurs and the Pelicans. The Pelicans should be heavily favored in that game. I think they've just been playing better. But the, but the Spurs have been playing well lately, so you never know. And I think we're not going to know until Friday. <laughs> so that kind of sucks. Uh, but I'm looking forward to finding out. And then Sam and I will scramble to record <laughs> a, a preview. preview. Oh my as God. What are we, we know. What are we going to do for that, dude? Are we going to record the preview <laughs> early wow, Saturday I, morning? Maybe. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. We'll record a preview Saturday morning. So this is how the playoff works. The playoffs work. If you're a new listener since last year, um, we're going to do an episode after every single game. And just come and get it. And if you don't come and get it within 48 hours, then there'll be a new episode in your feed. So that's pretty much how it works. Um, Hopefully as many of you as possible will have the opportunity to listen to whatever preview we put out on Saturday before game one on Sunday. But in any case, looking forward to it. Hey, do you want to do a Patreon mailbag this week for our patrons? I'm down. I'm for sure down with that. All right, next episode for us will be that if you want to sign up for our Patreon. We just passed over 300 patrons. Thank you, guys. It's really, really cool. You can sign up at patreon.com slash the timeline. We'll post a link there. You can send us questions, and we'll release that sometime midweek, Wednesday or Thursday, answering all of the questions that we can get to on that one. We appreciate you guys. The next main feed episode will be a playoff preview. <laughs>